Hi everyone, uh, Dave here, Seasons Greetings. Uh, thanks for coming along to another episode of Legends of the Spire. Uh, we're getting to the end of 2021 now, so I uh, just wanted to say thanks to everyone uh, for coming along to the podcasts over this year, whether you've watched them on YouTube or listened on uh, wherever you listen to them. Um, had nearly 40 ex-Chesterfield uh, players now on the podcast, so I hope you've all enjoyed listening to the stories that they have about their times with us. Um, on the podcast today, I spoke to Alex Bailey. Uh, now, he was with Chesterfield for three seasons uh, after leaving Arsenal, where he was a youth player. Joined in 2004 and was with us until the summer of 2007. The biggest thing I suppose during his time at the club was the Carling Cup run, uh, when he featured against Wolves, West Ham and Man City. Uh, but really interestingly, his first league game with us at Chesterfield was against Brentford. Uh, so it's funny looking at, uh, at some of the teams in that league when he was with us and uh, where they've ended up, as Brentford obviously currently in the Premier League. Um, I had a really good chat with Alex about his time at the club, uh, the players that he was with at the time, um, and also things like the Amarillo video and massive shirts and, and things like that. So I hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, and also had a chat with him about what he's got up to uh, after finishing playing too. Uh, we are at Spy Legends on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Legends of the Spy on Facebook. So please do like, subscribe, share. Um, as much as you can. It'd be great to uh, get loads and loads more of these interviews done uh, as we go into 2022. So here we are with the latest episode of Legends of the Spire with Alex Bailey. So you're from Newham, is that right? Yes, in um, in East London, it's um, I'm from an area called, or yeah, I'm from an area called Forest Gate. I usually say to people after the Olympics, if you know Stratford, mm -hmm. it's literally a neighbouring uh, kind of area to that. So um, yeah, quite a quite a rich football history. Newham, likes of uh, Jermaine Defoe, um, plenty of others. I think a few of the current Arsenal kind of players that have come through. So. Yeah, it's always been quite a rich area for, for sort of football or music talent. So it's always been known for that. Yeah. Am I right in saying you were at school with Jermaine Defoe? Yeah, yeah. It was an um, all-boys Catholic school called St Bonaventures. Um, we had very smart brown blazers. Um, but yeah, that was, um, it was a technology college, but it excelled most of the guys. You were either going to play football, play basketball, or you're very creative. So I think it was... A really good school academically, but it had a rich history of bringing through a lot of uh, a lot of good, good players. I think Chuba Akpong, who was at Arsenal recently, plays abroad now. I think he or is back in the UK now. He he's probably one of the latest uh, to come through there. But quite quite a lot of players came from St. Bons, yeah. Were you always football? Was that always your thing? Or? No, it wasn't actually. Um, I, I was by sort of current day standards, I consider myself a bit of a of a, a late bloomer. For, when it comes to playing football, you see a lot of these kids now in academies at call it the tender ages, do you know what I mean? Five, six, whatever. But no, judo was my first sport. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I sort of got into judo. I think I was quite a soft kid and my mum kind of put me into it thinking it was just a bit of discipline and, and toughen me up. But I ended up really excelling at it and just got to a stage, I think it was the age of like 11, where I had to pick one of the two sports. Um, so I was playing football recreationally, but just with friends. Um, but it, it nat I naturally took to football. And I think the judo helped as well, just from kind of an athletic standpoint. I know there's a lot of players, probably the likes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I know his martial arts background spoken about quite a lot, but it really, it does help balance probably, yeah, um, being a bit more explosive through your legs and that. So judo was always my sport, but then, took to football and I think the fact that football was just everywhere you looked and judo wasn't um, and to probably go on to that next or professional stage in judo you'd have to be top three or five in the country so um, which I might have been on the way to but football I think just had that bit of glamour I think so. And probably after after this is obviously before London Olympics, isn't it? So after London Olympics, probably loads of people pick up judo. Massively, yeah, yeah. I, I, I always say, like, any friends who've got sons or daughters that are playing football, I always say to them, like, a second sport always helps. Just, they, they've, I think there's studies that show having a second sport at a young age, even if football's your primary sport, will de help develop you. So, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of judo. So it's just, uh, yeah, I was probably a little bit early, sort of uh, falling in love with a sport. I should have been uh, born a few years later. So, Did you carry it on or did you... Um, do you know what? I didn't. I, I, I used, it's a sort of it's it's such a small community judo that even kind of once you leave, every so often I kept in touch with a few people and they'd say come down to kind of the dojo and um, just kind of chuck on the old sort of the, the gi, the, the jacket, and just have a kind of wrestle around. So a couple of times, but you you realise if you've not done it for a while, you're a bit sore the next day. So yeah, um, I thought there's a some some joints I need to protect now that I've uh, I stopped I stopped stopped fighting. So. And then, so when did Arsenal kind of pick you up then? Um, well, I'd been playing I've been playing youth team well sort of I guess Sunday league football with local teams for probably only about two or three years. Um, and then Arsenal, I was playing for Redbridge United, which East London and Essex are very close in terms of areas. And Redbridge United were playing in kind of the the Premier kind of boys league at that time and I'd only spent one season I think at Redbridge we we I, was, I think I was my time in there was really good we 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 swept the board in terms of trophies I think we had all the scouts at our games every week from uh Arsenal West Ham Spurs I think all the big London clubs then you had the likes of Norwich Ipswich so any anyone from kind of Midlands down scouts wise were probably at our games and I think we were in a good position where, like I said, we were winning trophies. We were putting up big scores every week. Um, and then all the lads probably managed to get attention from some scouts one way or another. So um, Arsenal got in touch. Um, I was actually at Spurs at the time, though, which I hadn't signed any contract or any sort of contract or anything, but it was quite it was quite an incasual kind of um, setup there in terms of just going down to Spurs a couple of times a week training. Um, and then... So I had, I had affiliation with Spurs um, and then Arsenal asked me to come down and they said, listen, trust me, once you come down, you'll be you'll be blown away. And I, it's strange, even Arsenal being in North London myself from East London, I didn't know much about Arsenal, um, the, the the heritage and just just the history behind the club or the players. And then once you get there, it, it, it really did hit you. Um, and then I think it's just the, the standards at Arsenal were really, really high and I, as good as I was at a, a youth level, you kind of get there and think, all right, wow, this is this is kind of the next step now. So they, um, I left, I left, and then left my boys' club and then signed for them, um, and was, yeah, was uh, playing for Arsenal kind of from an under thirteen age, and then they put us into an agreement with uh, a high school uh, where we'd be attending school. So I think they were one of the first clubs in the country to not run their own kind of. Um, college or school system but they had an agreement with a local school where 10 select players would go and and kind of do do their academics there but then maybe not do certain subjects such as music or PE which weren't seen as fundamental obviously PE we were, have, we were covering that one way or another um, and then yeah I was, was there until I finished uh, high school at the age of uh, 16, 15, 16. Yeah, and and did they did so? You didn't support Arsenal. Did you support anyone around then? Or um, I'll be honest. So obviously, West Ham were my local team, very very local. Um, the notorious Green Street, which the, the old Upton Park Stadium was on. I lived literally at the other end. So Green Street is maybe a mile and a half long. I you could literally come out my house and just start heading all the way up Green Street, and you'd see Upton Park Stadium. So, um, but. For my sins, I was actually a, a Man United supporter, um, but it's, it was it was more at that age. I was I was more um, attracted to certain players. So yeah. Paul Paul Lintz was was the main guy for me. Um, not not clearly not someone who I based my game on, but um, Paul Lintz and Ryan Giggs just attracted me to Man United, and from there on, it was just a case of all the posters, all the kits. And then I used to see them whenever they played at Upton Park. I'd go there, kind of my Man United shirt underneath my jacket because West Ham was still quite a rowdy crowd then. Um, and I'd probably go with a, yeah, a relative and they'd, they'd probably tell me just to keep the celebrations muted. But yeah. West, Ham, West Ham always used to give United a tough time, so we, we, I never got to celebrate there too much. But now West Ham were my local club, um, but didn't really, weren't really attached to them or, or didn't really follow them. Yeah. What kind of position were you then? Kind of going um, you were always kind of in that position or did you move around a bit? 
No, do you know what? I, from a from a young age, I, I I'd always I don't know if it was the Paul points kind of attraction. I'd always just kind of sat in the middle of the park, mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't say I was a, a holding midfield player, but I think I I was always a really I was always a really good runner. So I think I could cover maybe not so much long distance, but I could cover short distances pretty quick. So especially from a young age, so. I guess I'm not going to say I look. I played anything like him at a young age, but yeah, N'Golo Kante's those sort of players really box to box, quite quite quick, covering a lot of ground. So, yeah, from from being a a young scholar, centre midfield was actually my position. Um, so I was probably it was strange. I remember someone saying you you're too quick to play centre midfield. <laughs> so it was it was a bit of a strange one, but I just realised you're so involved in the game so often that that, that was kind of a uh, and position I gravitated towards and was good enough to play at a young age anyway. So what point did you, did you end up back at fullback then? That was an Arsenal thing. So I, I, I actually, so I, I actually was, when I got scattered for Arsenal, I was actually, they scattered me as a centre-back, um, believe it or not. So it's strange, obviously, my career being at fullback, me talking about loving playing centre midfield, but Arsenal moved me back to centre-back and I think I had, had the notorious growth spurt at a, quite a young age. Didn't grow much after that, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, they, again, I think it was all to do with speed. There probably weren't many centre-backs that could could run like like I was running then. Um, and I was probably around like an average height uh, like for, for that age and until everyone starts shooting up again. So I think it wasn't until they they thought, well, he's not going to be dominant in the air as a centre-back. That's not going to happen. Not, not once you get to... 15, 16, um, and then start playing against guys under 20s. There's just going to be a lot more aerial involvement um, there. So I think I, I had a really good leap, and I, I wouldn't say I was great in the air, but I was okay. Um, but then they actually said, actually, go out to fullback. You're tailor made for it, really. You're good on the ball and one on one duels against against any sort of quicker wide players. You should nullify that. So it was, it was their idea. And yeah, it's strange. I think I took, took to it. Took it quite well. I don't, in, in all honesty, I don't probably think it's the hardest position to adapt to. You, yeah. you hear Gary Neville and Carragher ribbing each other about, well, yeah, if you can't you can't play any position, then go and play fullback, sort of thing. It's it is quite an easy one. You have a lot of players that play out wide, either as a winger, drop back into fullback, and I think you get to see a lot of the game from that position. So you, you, your decision making, I think, from an early point is easy. Yeah, and it's changed a lot, hasn't it? They're like crucial positions now. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I mean, you look at one of my favourite ones, and I'm sure a lot of people are seeing it the same way. Reese Reese James at Chelsea. It's like I I think he's really kind of adapted to the position, and it's there's a lot more to consider now than probably was forced upon fullbacks when I was playing, or it depends on who you played with at which clubs you're at. But you see them now. It's it's how they support. Like infield, not just overlapping. When I when I was playing, I think the whole thought process was, well, you've got to just literally be a storming horse all day, get up and down. Yeah. And actually, they're they're a little bit smarter with their running now. It's not as much burning yourself out, covering kilometers upon kilometers. He he pops up in some positions that a lot of forward-thinking players would be proud of. Do you know what I mean? So he's, I think there's a lot more to think about now than than they'll probably boss. Yeah. And, and you actually had some caps for England, didn't you? At youth, was that on the yeah. level? Yeah, I did. I did. So I, um, yeah, I managed to get some. Uh, I think it was a 15s and 16 caps. So yeah, I was, I was, I was probably one of those kids. I was disappointed that I didn't get into the England schoolboys set up a little bit earlier. But I think the form I had at Arsenal in my first couple of years when I signed on as um, a full-time scholar or the old YTS as it was 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 really strong and. Yeah, they sent out they sent out some caps, and I think I remember being away, funny being away on a school trip or like a college trip, and my mum called me and said, "Oh, you've been called up to England." And I think I, I think I can't remember where we were. We were in Europe somewhere, and I just kind of took a long walk by myself in in a in this European city, and yeah, it just it was it was a great feeling. It's you hear people say it all the time. It's it's a massive massive honour, even at youth level. So it's. Um, Yes, once once you get the shirt and the caps, no one can ever really take it from you. It, whether you got to play a game or you got to have years playing for a national team, you'll always have that that achievement. So, 
where, where have you kept them? Are they like just in the loft or have you got No, my mum's got them all. Um, so I, I live in Manchester now, um, but my mum's still down south. Uh, so my mum's got, what's she got? My mum's got my, I think my mum's got my signed shirt, which has got all the squad members at the time, coaching staff, um, big, like beautiful shirt, got a tournament crest kind of emblazoned on it. Um, and she's not letting that go anytime soon. So, and then my dad lives in the States in America and he's got one of them as well. So yeah, I basically, I don't own any, any of my own memorabilia, which is, which is, which is quite, quite strange, but I'm glad, I'm glad those two have got it anyway. So you signed for Chesterfield, so it was summer of 2004, wasn't it? Yep. So we just escaped relegation on the last day of the season. Uh, and then, and then you came into the club, didn't you? Did, did you ever know where Chesterfield was? Um, no, I think so. <laughs> so my, my, my ventures outside of London in terms of UK travel had been minimal, to be honest. So I'd, I'd done a lot of traveling football wise with Arsenal, but it was more like European tours, global tours even. So I don't think I'd long come back from Hong Kong with Arsenal, but I didn't know where Chesterfield exactly was, um, which is pretty embarrassing to be honest. But um, no, I got back from holiday with some friends in Mexico and my agent called me and said, there's, there's a contract waiting for you at Chesterfield based on conversations that um, Pat Rice at the time at Arsenal had had with, had with Roy um, and he's giving you strong recommendation. Um, I, was, I was talking to Mark McGee at Brighton at the time as well, um, but I think I was, I, I think my mentality at the time was I was frustrated about not having my contact, contract extended at Arsenal and I was just keen to get back playing football as soon as possible. I knew that was really, really important. And it was kind of um, the, mo the, the discussions with, with Brighton weren't particularly, uh, weren't, weren't going to be settled particularly quick or I think they wanted me to come down and trial, which at the time was fair enough. Um, but yeah, Roy, Roy literally said, listen, come down. Here's a, <clears throat> excuse me, here's a year contract. And yeah, we want to just see what you can do and we'll take it from there. But you've got, you've got the ability clearly to have been at Arsenal. Um, I didn't really look into the, the kind of Chesterfield's form coming off the back of the season previous. And I didn't know too much about, I obviously knew about the previous cup runs and everything. Um, old, uh, the games at Old Trafford and against Middlesbrough and those guys. So I knew, I knew kind of the history. So, um, and the, the, the crooked spire kind of meant something to me in terms of, it was a bit of a, an anomaly in terms of uh, building structure and everything like that. But um, yeah, I, I just said, listen, and I think it was, it was when they first introduced the Coca-Cola leagues as well. So it went from first time, it went from championship, then league one. Yeah. So it was, it was quite a pivotal moment in football in terms of they, they rebranded everything, tried to market it a little bit different and, that that to me felt quite exciting as well, um, and I, I just I just went in there with the, the mentality that it was uh, it was playing in front of crowds, it was playing regular football, and I knew it was going to be a challenge. I didn't I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So um, as soon as I got back, literally from Mexico, unpacked my suitcase, repacked my suitcase, <laughs> jumped in my uh, jumped in my car, um, had some directions, and then just ventured up the M1. Literally, yeah. Was it was it quite exciting in a way just to move out of London and somewhere else and yeah it was I mean it's first time living alone first time living alone so I think my mum my was my mum was quite hesitant in terms of me leaving she felt it was quite a big jump it wasn't like going from living at home to digs with another family or with another group of players or anything like that so I think her feeling was that it's going to be a big adjustment, and I I probably had had shown no signs that I could look after myself at home. Probably quite been quite dependent on her, but she, um, yeah, she she we both felt it would be a great opportunity football wise, and I think that's all that mattered. What What were your first impressions of like the ground and the training facilities and stuff like um, different to Arsenal? Yeah, yeah, it was. I think to be honest, I I, I can always remember pulling up to. A, a local petrol station right in the middle of the town centre and the accent kind of struck me and the, the little terminologies, A up duck and, yeah. and those things. And those, those, those kind of uh, quaint kind of welcomings that you only get in certain 
around that kind of Derbyshire area. And it was, yeah, it was really nice, actually. I can't, looking back from today, can't say I, I wasn't welcomed, I wasn't not welcomed by anyone. Um, I remember the ground, I was taking, met my, met, met my agent at the ground and kind of showed me around and it is kind of what I expected. And I looked at it and I thought, actually, might not be holding 30, 40,000, but the, the, it's quite intense. And it, I, I thought once this is filled up, this is going to create a good noise. So I was looking forward to putting on a shirt and just playing in front of us, packed a stadium. That's all I was caring about. Um, the training ground facilities were the biggest shock at the time. Um, I think we were training over Warminster and Sheffield, um, which was the first time I think I'd ever gone to. So I used to meet at Saltergate at the time. Um, and then everyone used to carpool over to Warminster. So I actually, I sat there and said, are we not training here? Or are we not training more locally? So got given the address or jumped in with a couple of the other lads and then we drove over and I was like, Christ, this is like a half an hour, 25 minute drive. So, but I, I quickly conditioned myself to, to get out of thinking those things, which is, listen, once you get on the pitch, don't worry about all the other things. Um, and then, yeah, I, I just I just thought, okay, I, I, I knew already that you're going to be washing your own kit. You're going to be preparing your own meals. At Arsenal, you had everything laid on, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so now it was, it was actually that, that discipline now, which is you've got a schedule, make a schedule for yourself every day. I'm going to come across quite spoiled here, but it was, yeah, literally used to have someone picking up your socks at, at Arsenal and, and yeah, chefs and, and everything else people can imagine at that level. So it was a big change, but, I don't know. It was it was quite nice in a way because you, you realised that, like I said, you're disciplined and you had to humble yourself pretty quickly, or else you're gonna, yeah, not 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 adjust the way you needed to adjust. And and you mentioned kit. Like I, I was talking to Phil Pickham uh, a few days ago, actually, and yeah. he was saying the first time he put on a shirt, it was massive, and it was a short sleeve shirt down to his wrist. You know, they were all made yeah, yeah. size. Pick, pick, but picks picks isn't the biggest lad though. Let's let's get that <laughs> let's get that straight. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he looked like he, he could have put, probably spent a bit more time in the gym picks, but um, <laughs> uh, but no, no, I, I will say the same thing. Yeah, it comes as like it, it, it seems like it's a generic XL or or a, or a large, and especially yeah, I mean, coming in there at the age of 20, 21, you're not really filled out yet, um, and especially compared to kind of common day kits where. You're seeing players having to have other players pull them off their bodies because they're all skin tight with a GPS and everything. They were completely different then. Let's, yeah, let's just say they weren't particularly aerodynamic or performance uh, enhancing at all. So, so it, w- it wasn't hard to shirt pull, was it? In, with those- oh, you'd, 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 if you're shirt pulling, you'd grab the whole thing and it was somewhat, someone would like really, really slow you down. But um, if you were maybe a a Wayne Allison, that then you might be filling a shirt out a little bit in, in other areas that some of the guys weren't. So. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, your debut then. So I think it was Brentford. Uh, I think we won 3 1, I think. Yeah, yeah, game. interesting. And I knew a few of the Brentford lads. Um, and I knew they were coming into the season as as kind of everyone's pick as well to to either go to, to go up automatically or at least be in the playoffs. They would have had, I imagine bigger budgets than the likes of us. Um, and they still had some big names. I, I knew John Solarco was a friend of the family. Um, I knew I knew everyone who's watched football over the last few decades knows kind of how big he's been as, a, as an English wide player. And I knew kind of the qualities he bought. Um, they also had a lad called um, Jay Tab, who I knew, knew well as well from, from youth team football. Um, so Jay, Jay was Jay was probably for a couple of seasons after that, one of the pick, like, top players in, in that league and then he went over to Reading. So he, he was really good. So I think it, everyone probably went into that game thinking we've got to be on point here because no one wants to have your first game of the season at home and get turned over. And Brentford were that good. They were they they, they, had, the, they had the potential to probably put up quite a big scoreline against us, especially we had quite, you remember, we had, quite a newly assembled team, mm-hmm. um, a lot of new names. And I think fair play to the coaching staff where you've got like your Chamon Toyers literally just come over from France. I think it was um, 
Mark Debola obviously had, had been there at the end of the previous season. Uh, then you obviously had your, your Shinners and 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 a few other kind of senior players that was quite new to the fold as well. So obviously Gaffer knew him from previous, but in terms of a group coming together, we were a new group. So I think everything was in Brentford's favour to probably give us a, a good hiding on that day, to be honest. But there's, I always say there's, there's no better time to play anyone than the first game of the season because no one's fully fit. Yeah, You're all a little bit sore from the last few weeks you've had in pre-season. You, you might not have had great results in, pre, in the pre-season friendly. So it's, it's a really even playing field. Um, and it was obviously first game of the season, absolutely boiling. I remember that. Um, but yeah, we, we, we played well. I, I think I had an okay game, nothing, nothing amazing. Um, but I think I showed a couple of times of a few, the fans, obviously some of them, it's the first time they see me, what, what, what sort of player I was. But yeah, we had a great result. I think 3-1, I'm going to say. Yeah, I think it was Antoya scored and I think Folan scored and I think <laughs> yeah. Alison was the other. So it was a... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a great result. I remember the place was buzzing. It was a... I think to get to do that to Brentford, uh, that first game, I think it, it kind of showed people, especially that first half of the season, how strong we were. After surviving a relegation scare on the very last day of the previous season, thanks to a 1-0 win over Luton Town, Chesterfield were hoping for an easier passage this time round, and they got off to a good start. Wayne Allison pounced to give them the first half lead after the move had been started by Derek Niven. Caleb Folan made it 2-0 when he headed home from close range midway through the second half, after some superb play down the right by Mark Allett, who squeezed past two Brentford defenders. Alex Rhodes scored with a low drive on 69 minutes to give the visitors some hope of a rescue act. Mark Allett created Chesterfield's third goal when he exposed the Brentford defence yet again before feeding substitute Chaman Toya, who cut inside and fired home from the edge of the area. Did you find yourself settling in quite easily then? Because that first season you played 45 league games. I think you only missed one. Yeah, I missed one. And do you know what, Dave? To be honest, I was I was fit. I, I should have probably, well, I could have played, but the gaffer just, I think I remember it away at Peterborough and the manager said, listen, you, I think I'd had a bit of a tight hamstring, nothing bad. Like I've, I've, I've played with, with worse injuries. It wasn't even an injury, but I've played with injuries during the season, that same season. And he's probably felt it was just too, some other games maybe too pivotal. But that one, he, we, we were getting on a coach and he just said, you're not going to play today. And I was fuming. Um, <laughs> I was absolutely fuming. So, because again, I knew a few of the Peterborough lads, and I just thought, okay, this this seems a bit strange. When you're carrying form over, you don't want it to be disrupted. Yeah. Um, but he just said, "Listen, you've been tight." He put his arm. Yeah, he said, "Your hamstring's been tight." He put his arm around me on the coach. He just said, "He managed it quite well, to be honest." He said, "I know, you, I know you want to play, but he said there's another game. We probably had a midweek game, knowing the schedule." They said it's a long journey. We don't want you playing on this pitch, London Road. I think it is massive pitch, quite quite boggy. Um, but yeah, I could I could have played. So it's annoying. It could have been a, a, a perfect sweep of games. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's that first season. Really proud of the um, the durability and endurance shown. I think one of the one of the few players probably to play as many games. So. Yeah, I think you and Mark Allett were the only people that got 45. That sounds all right. That sounds right. Me and him, me, him and Niven used to do most people's running, so it sounds about right. <laughs> it's not fair, is it? Um, no, no. Roy McFarland then. So it was obviously quite a, it was a 4-4-2, wasn't it? It was like, um, uh, it's quite quite a similar formation around then, I suppose, as common as people are playing three at the back now. They were playing kind of a 4-4-2 then. Um, yeah, he, he, he. He had he had quite a sim, uh, a simple philosophy on football, Roy, and it was he, he liked he, he liked it sounds obvious, but he liked the, the right kind of players in in those key positions. So you'd almost have like so a lot of teams feel they're too open now with four four two, because obviously even with a three at the back that quickly becomes a five, or the holding midfielder drops in and creates a, a, a more stable kind of cent, central defence, but. Um, yeah, we we played with 
with Blavers and, and Evo, two very strong centre-backs. It wasn't about being, with all due respect, being particularly mobile in that position. It was, it was very much about physically dominating, winning aerial battles. Um, and then myself, obviously, on the, on the right, uh, Shinner most of the time at left-back. Um, very different style of players. I think Shinner obviously quite, was quite a bit older than me, but very his game awareness and knowledge was fantastic. And he had an absolute wonder of a left foot. I could never get my head around a fullback being not being able to not being quick, but yet not not being beaten too often. I was from the school of it's man on man, it's you versus me. But I think that that's testament to how good his positioning was. Um, and then, yeah, Alla and, and Nivo were set in the middle a lot. Sorry, Alla and uh, Alla played right wing, actually, when I was there. So it had been Mark Hudson and, and Nivo, which was a really good blend. Um, Derek, phenomenally fit, uh, fantastic athlete. And then you had Mark Hudson with a little bit of nous, a little bit kind of, yeah, his distribution. So they complement each other really, really well. Um, I can't quite remember who played on the left at the time. I don't know if it was Mark Innes and, yeah, and maybe... Adam Smith would come in so often. And yeah, Adam Smith was a good friend of mine. So I'm not going to talk about him for too long, but he's um yeah, fantastic talent. When I when I came to the club, he 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 blew me away. I I said to him, you don't find a lot, I said to the gaffer actually, you don't find a lot of wide players, even at the top level, that can do a lot of things that he was doing that first season. Um and then yeah, I think then I think we had a really good blend of forwards with with Chief Wayne Anderson, Mark and Cham and then Caleb, I think, was just getting fit again after quite a few injuries. Um, it's a really good blend. So I think you look across the board, I, I, I still think to this day that man for man, we probably had as good individuals as, as any as any other teams in the league. So the 4-4-2, it wasn't about rotating or, or much change. It was just we, we were quite settled in that shape. Yeah, and it was as a supporter, it was the kind of team where you looked at it for two seconds and you were like, you knew where everyone was. Yeah, big time. You, you knew you 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 guys probably knew as fans what what you expected from the two guys in the middle. You knew what Blavers' job was. You knew what Shin. You knew you, you wanted Shinner to be really good on a dead ball. You, you wanted him to get good crosses in. You wanted me and Mark to kind of me to overlap Mark Allett to to really kind of threaten that that right hand side. So I think we had a we had a really really good balance. I don't know. The fact the way they assembled that team and just the balance they struck, it was either brilliantly thought out scouting or it, it just kind of fell into place. But I, I I remember we yeah, just looking at the balance thinking there isn't too many in the starting eleven, there aren't too many holes. Mm. Now, if you look at it nowadays, maybe you say just a bit more depth to that. And you look at teams probably outside the premiership where they can call up a couple of wingers, they have a few. They have a lot more ammunition off the bench, so that that was probably where the League One was still developing uh, in that side. And you scored that season, I think, didn't you as well? It was that season, Bristol City, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, I should have probably had a couple more, but that was, I think, that's my only only goal for the club. But I remember just striking it and it going through a bit of a crowd and looked a lot better on telly than it did on the pitch. I tell you that. <laughs> Um, I it last night, actually, that goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I remember striking it, and it kind of went through the crowd, and I, I was just, it was kind of a shot cross, if I'm honest. It, as soon as it left my foot, I thought, okay, I've hit it pretty well, and it's going into a dangerous area if, it, if no one blocks it. And I think as soon as it missed the first guy, it just, yeah, by the time it got near the six-yard box, the keeper wasn't touching it. But, um, yeah, it was, that was, I mean, Bristol, that was a good game, good one to score in Bristol, obviously super strong that year. Um, likes of Leroy Lita, um, who went on to have a really good career. They had a really, really good team. So I think we were one down and that that equalised. So it was, it was yeah, pretty sweet. And then when you scored that goal, you, I saw that you ran straight over to Lee Richardson and were kind of... Which is a bit of a regret. Yeah, I've got some stick about that. <laughs> I think I think I had uh, some, of the, some of my close... Some of the guys I was close, like, extremely close within the team kind of said, why, why you don't go over to congratulate the staff? You come over and congratulate us. But I'll be honest, I think it was all a bit of a blur. I think it was uh, me showing my, uh, my age and enthusiasm a bit, just scoring my first goal. So I probably... I, I probably would have 
hugged the nearest copper if, if there was one in front of me. So it, it, Rico was just lucky where he was placed, and yeah, he he but he he, he told me afterwards he said he was happy it was him. And I said to him, I don't I couldn't remember who I hugged to be honest. So. <laughs> Bristol City had been tipped by many to be frontrunners in the division, but it was Chesterfield who went ahead on 33 minutes. Not much doubt about the penalty, duly dispatched by Shane Nicholson to give the Spyrites the lead. Whatever City boss Brian Tinian sent to his players during the break seemed to work, as the visitors quickly turned the game round. Scott Murray got the equaliser with a fine solo effort after cutting in from the right. Defender Danny Cole stumped the ball home following the corner to put City in front. It was left to Alex Bailey to score his first senior goal for Chesterfield, not dissimilar to that of Bristol's Scott Murray, and it rescued a point just when defeat was staying the home side in the face. And I think we had a good record against Bristol City that season because we won. The, we had the away game as well that was on TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, amazing game that was. I, I remember that game. We headed down. That that was really good because that was the think the first time we were on TV that that season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it was strange. I was. I don't usually get nervous before games, but I did knowing that it was on television. Um, and it was. Yeah, I I I told a few friends that the game was going to be televised and before I knew it, like everyone was calling me before the game, oh, are you playing? People who I'd not spoken to for ages, I said, oh, you're at Chesterfield now, aren't you? You're on TV. I was like, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really good. But yeah, we, we, we turned them over a couple of times that year and they, they like, again, like Brentford, they were seen as everyone's pick and Ashton Gate, never, never easy to kind of go to, but well, we, we played out of our skins that, that I think Huddy got a bit of a, uh, a lucky, lucky winner. I, I think I remember it bobbling over the keeper or something like that. Yeah. But we, I think we were good value for the winner. And so, what happened then throughout that season? Because they just signed a one-year deal. Yeah. Uh, at what point did you did you extend it? I can't quite remember. Um, do you know what? I remember the manager. I remember the, the manager was saying to me, "Just, I think he, he did the right thing. Just try to kind of keep my feet on the ground." I think he, without direct, never him or the other staff telling me how well or, or, or not well things were going I knew my form was pretty good but I also knew there was a lot more to come I I was just I think my, my understanding of the game was still developing but I was just playing off of instinct to be honest um, and I think there was things that looking back on it I probably could have lent on some of the players I've learned a bit more but yeah the, the gaffer sort of just said just keep keep doing what you're doing and he, he, he was quite honest he said listen there's, there's interest from outside the club um, but we obviously want to keep you. Uh, if if he said, but we'll 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 look at we'll look at a, a deal soon. And he kept kind of putting it off, putting it off. And my agent spoke to him and said, "Listen, we know their club's asking. He's only on a one-year deal, so he's going to be able to walk pretty soon." Uh, which I wasn't intended to. And I think I I almost felt like, well, I'd love to see what I can do second season around. Um, so it actually started getting towards the end of the season and the manager said, like, we've got a contract waiting for you, but we'll discuss terms and everything. Um, as, soon as, they, as soon as they offered it to me, I, I said, of course. Like, they offered me a two-year deal. Um, I wasn't really even looking for stability in a sense. It was just continuation of what we were doing. Um, and it was, it was on the agreement. We all kind of said, listen, it's a two-year deal, but again, if, if the interest is there from outside the club, then... If the deals, if, if it's a good deal for everyone, then of course everyone will, will, will all agree to it. So, yeah, signed that, and then it was um, into the second season, which didn't go as well, disappointingly. So, um, yeah, led into I think the first time getting injured. Uh, yeah, I never really had, had, had experienced before, and I think my body was a bit of a shock. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I think you played you play about 20 games that season, something like that. And I, I noticed I was looking at the stats and it looked yeah. like you did have a, you kind of a bit stop start and you had a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I had, I had, I think I had, we we, we had a, it was, it was, we had a pre-season game that second season I was there and it was just a local game against like a Staveley or someone like that, um, I think it was. Um, 
and I was I wasn't actually going to play. Uh, so the gaffer just says, "Listen, we, we're going to put out a second string team, but it might be." I said to him, I'd, "I'd love to get a half just to get some fitness." But he said, "Listen, just sit, sit on the bench. If we need you, we need you." So um, I think he brought me on, not with a lot of time left, and I just caught like a bit of an innocuous kind of knock on my knee. Um, but then the next day, I remember just waking up, my knee being the size of a balloon. I was like, something's not quite right here. Um, it wasn't anything serious at the time, like structural damage or anything, but it, it was just then, I think I had a bit of a layoff after that uh, and then came back. And then that's when I did more damage. I think I came back too soon. Um, and then it was just a case of every time coming back, it was it was just that same area. My knee wasn't, wasn't quite right. It was frustrating because... I think fans could see that I was frustrated that I wasn't fully fit. I, I wasn't, I didn't have the same like, on-field confidence I had from the season before. Um, but I thought, okay, I said to the manager, I said, Gaff, I said, I need some time to get really, really fit. Um, I think that was the main thing. It was, it was not so much play, playing with the injury, it was just playing with a lack of fitness as well. I was, Really, I had nothing really in the tank. I was, I never had a pre-season. And then when I did come back, it was just for a few minutes here and there. Um, but then I managed to find a bit bit of form in that, that third season, um, playing more games and still seemed to just trigger something in terms of I'd never got injured. And then injuries started to kind of follow, which, which was just really frustrating. And I suppose it's tough mentally as well, isn't it? Because you get kind of out of the groove of just that Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. It's... Yeah, this is, it literally is, it's just the rhythm. I, I like, I remember a lot of people think, oh, like you train really hard. You, you do train hard, but in season, whilst you've got games, especially with the, like, the, the current schedules, you don't train that much mm. or that often. And you, when you do train, it's quite quick and it's quite sharp. It might only be, people know like that the, the the training sessions are themselves for football are like, or your day can be done, start at nine, finish, finish at, at, at 10.30 football-wise. And then if you're obviously doing your, your extra personal bits afterwards, your, re, your, your, your rehab or stretching or strength work, then that might go into the afternoon. But the football sessions themselves are really short. Um, so it's all about rhythm. Like that first season, you literally were just blinking. It was on to next game, on to the other one. And loved it. And some some players thrive off of that. I was one of those players. It wasn't. I didn't need a. I didn't need huge sessions. I, I hated time. I, I didn't really like Saturday to Saturday. I, I actually quite liked the game thrown in in the week because, yeah, you could just carry on the form. And the last thing in your mind is just that confidence you had. Hmm. Who who were the players that you were kind of closest to over that? Um, I think when, that that first year when I joined. Um, so, Mark. I stay with Mark Dubola from be uh, with him being at Charlton and him knowing a lot of friends that I had through football in down south. And then um, I'd say, do you know what? It's a bit of an easy answer, but I, I genuinely that first season, I, I would say I got on particularly well with all of the lads. It was really balanced. Like I think naturally you might have small clicks in the change room, not not in a, a standoffish way, but the senior lads, like I'd I'd want to go and have lunch with like. Chief and and Shinar and Blavers just to kind of sort of yeah pick their brains on certain things and understand like, how to manage yourself as a professional regardless of where I'd come from like thinking all right how have you achieved this longevity in the game um, I spent a lot of time with Shinar just understanding the, the fullback position a lot so I think with the older guys there was a social side but a lot of it was to do with under, their understanding of the game and picking their brains. Um, Got on really, really well with with Adam Smith. I think he 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 just brought like a level of humour and and uh, yeah, just just all just welcomed me from the start. So he 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 was always uh, he was always about. But um, second well, that first season, good friend of mine came on loan, Jamal Campbell Rice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Good so player. yeah, yeah, very good player. Yeah, he's um, so me and Jamal had been friends for for years when he was at Charlton. Um, kicked lumps out of him for years before he came to Chesterfield so I think he was happy to be receiving yeah. the ball, balls from me rather than me coming after him so yeah he, we, we, we were in um, I think we, we were in the same hotel most of the time um, so yeah we, 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 we were really good friends then and we, we stayed good friends up to now um, 
yeah, really, I think overall in the dressing room, there was an amazing atmosphere, amazing like togetherness, especially that first season. Yeah, and there were some good lone players as well around that time, of which yeah. I, I saw it was like Jamie O'Hara, I think, maybe went your time, Sammy Klingon. Yeah. And I, there was Martin Fulop as well, who sadly passed away, didn't he? Yeah, 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 there was. I mean, Martin, Martin was anyone had spent, or yeah, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, you spend a couple of minutes in, and spent a couple of minutes in Martin's presence, you just, you you quickly realise how lovely a bloke he was. Um, and he was a, the, the goalkeeping aspects, irrelevant, but yeah, he was a fantastic goalkeeper. But um, yeah, Martin was at Tottenham at the time. Um, and he'd been living in Essex where my girlfriend at the time lived. So we used to kind of carpool down, back down south together every so often. But I made, yeah, love, lovely, lovely guy um, and an amazing goalkeeper. I know the clubs he'd been at, especially at Chesterfield, everyone thought really, really highly of him. So, yeah, really, that, that, that news, I think, shocked any, everyone, to be honest. It, was, it wasn't nice. But um, Jamie I'd known uh, when he was at Arsenal because he came through the youth ranks at Arsenal. Um, and then he'd gone to Spurs, so I, I knew him already. He had, had a fantastic um, appetite for winning. He, 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 he could just find something, tight game, find a way to get half a yard, find a way to, to, to get in the box. And then Sammy, for me, he was someone I was really, really close to, actually. Um, Sammy, for me, was, was probably one of the best all-round midfielders outside of the Premier League at the time. I, I, I know every fan that saw him at Chesterfield just thought, how we got our hands on him. He was on loan from Wolves, I think. Um, and he was pushing Wolves to try and, yeah, get him more first-team time or try and get into that first-team squad. But his ability was incredible. He, he could do everything that you wanted a, a, a centre-midfield player to do. He, he, it was strange, Sam. You looked at him and you never thought... He didn't look in great physical shape. If that's if that's a way to say it, it didn't look yeah. like a, a pure athlete the way some of them do now. But he he could run as well as anyone. He never got tired. He could keep up with any midfielders that were there. But his range of passing was incredible. He could put the ball 50, 60 yards in your stride. Um, and he scored some great. I think he, when he scored, they were pretty special goals yeah. as well. So uh, yeah, Sammy Sammy for me was probably one of the most talented that we, we ever had. Definitely, definitely. So going into your third season with us, uh, it was obviously, it's well known because it's Carling Cup season. Um, and you played in two of them, three of them? I think uh, I think I played in three of them, yeah. So the I, I did play in the Charlton one where we got knocked out. Uh, so, but I put, yeah, played, I don't know the order. I think it was Wolves first. Wolves first, yeah. Um, I think you came on as a... Did you come on as a sub in the Wolves match? Maybe possibly, yeah. So I think that, two. yeah, because we played them quite uh, that 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 tie was quite early in the season. Um, and I think following on from the end of or following on from the second season, where I said to I said to him, listen, I just want to get really fit, and I managed to come back pretty in good shape. Injury didn't seem like too much of an issue. Um, it came on, and a friend of mine broke a, broke my toe in that game. Um, Rowan, Rowan Ricketts was playing for Wolves at the time. Yeah, and I think I skipped past him, and he he literally just trod on trod on my trod on my foot. So the old um, metatarsals didn't take too well to it. So yeah, he broke broke my toe in that. Um, I did. I got to say, I did miss a penalty in the shootout, but it was an. Uh, I didn't remember still, that, so I can edit. Oh, that I'll, I'll give you that. One. Yeah, I'll give you that one now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was. Um, really, they, they were a good side. I think Wolves more or less had that, all their first string. So we we gave. Super tight game and it went to penalties and we took them. Um, and then we, the Man City one was obviously pretty special. Who um, were you up against was, in that match? Do you remember? Um, I'm not sure, you know. I think I was up against, uh, gosh, I don't know if it was like Claudio Reyna or someone like that. Um, but they had, I mean, that was when they started really assembling their, their proper side. So they, they, they were, you saw them come out of the tunnel and the thing that struck me probably similar to when I was at Arsenal, but every player, six foot three, every single one, maybe Rayner might be the smallest. So mm -hmm. thank God I was up against him. But yeah, it was, um, you, you saw him coming out the tunnel and you're like, Christ, these are, these look like these have come off a conveyor belt. They're, they're huge. Um, but yeah, we, we, I think we beat them 2-1. And I think that's when the Caleb Folan hype train started gathering momentum. I think yeah. he, he, 
had they had Richard Dunn and Sylvain Distan centre halves, probably two two of the most physically imposing centre backs to play in the Premier League at that time. Um, and Caleb, well, really, really held his own. So it was, I was, it was strange. I was shocked, but I wasn't shocked because I think everyone had kind of been waiting for it to come out, and I think it took that. So yeah, beat those guys, and then West Ham. West Ham was really tight. I think that was. That was that was a really close game, but um, who was it? I think I can't remember who. It might have been Caleb again, probably got yeah. a winner. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that cup run really kind of solidified his his presence of where he was going. If you're gonna do it, do it in a cup run when you're on TV. <laughs> Honestly, I gave him stick. I was like, I was like, mate, you didn't do this. The I said, I said you didn't do this the whole first year I was here, and then now it's on telly against these boys. I said you. I was like, I don't know what you had for breakfast, but yeah, he, but I'd, I'd see it in training and you'd come up against him and physical strength was incredible. Um, and he he never, the thing with Caleb, he doesn't look fast or didn't look fast, but he was easily one of the quickest players I see, I've seen. Um, and he showed it, yeah. He, I mean, he went on to sign for Hull and, and, and Wigan and play for some big clubs. So he, he clearly had something that kind of married well to that, that top level game, so. And the atmosphere at Saltgate as well during those games. I remember those matches like they were yesterday. They were amazing. Yeah, I remember which was the one that um, who scored the screamer again. Oh, yeah. Was it the screamer again? yeah, that was yeah, the. Yeah, I mean that 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 that's the biggest fluke of. <laughs> that's the big. That's the biggest fluke of Derek's career, but it's it's the most spectacular. I remember that going in, just looking at it, and the, I think the whole place just erupted, um, just just absolutely amazing. So we had we had a few. You know, I've I've never been to I've not been to see a game at the, the current stadium, but when it when, the, when something big used to happen at Saltgate, it was pretty special. So, did you get any any shirts? Phil Pickham was saying he was gutted he didn't get Trevor Sinclair's shirt because he ran. Yeah, out. do you know what? Whose shirt did I get? Um, I did get a Man City shirt. I think it was. It might be distance. You know, mm-hmm. it might be. Yeah, but again, that's up. My mum's got my mum's got all that memorabilia, so I'll have to check. But yeah, I was uh, yeah, I remember. I think I, I was quite wary, thinking I don't want Roy to see me trying to get one of these shirts after the game or whatever. But it was um, that was mass massive game. They they were a serious outfit. So. Just playing it in. Weaver came. Chesterfield have their thoroughly merited equaliser. And Saltergate is jumping. Yeah, and obviously, I, I, we got relegated that season, but it was the thing that you remember now is the Carling Cup run. So it was. Uh, yes, yes, it was, it was strange how that season panned out. It was, it was kind of, yeah, massive, massive highs. And then if you look back on it, to be honest, the. Uh, the relegation was almost—I don't know—I can't remember. We just hit like a real poor patch of form. We could never just quite get out of it, which you only probably needed a few draws to go our way. I think it was. Um, but yeah, we we just didn't—I don't know—we just didn't have that spark that we did that that season. I, I first joined. I think there was it was just just some just something quite just something missing. Mm. And it must have been because you played like thirty games, I think, that season in the league, something like that. So. What kind of happened then at the end of the season? So I, I remember, I can't remember the, the game. Obviously, Roy Roy got sacked, unfortunately, and I remember him coming in. It was, a, I think, I don't, I think it was in the morning. After it was before a training session, and he said, "Oh, boys, just to let you know, he goes, I've been sacked as your manager." Um, he just said, "I've seen a run of form. The the, the 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 powers that be don't see it kind of changing anytime soon, or it needs a change." Um, at the helm to to kind of facilitate that. So, uh, and then Rico obviously stepped in, and he had, he had like like anyone stepping in new, he had his own idea of things to be honest, and and more power to him. Um, so I think he 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 felt like uh, he he changed a few things around. I think he he put some some players that have played regularly he, he didn't have in the starting eleven. Some younger players that he felt should be given a chance, were given a chance, which is good. 
but it did, it didn't obviously it was too late in the day for for that to kind of um have any real effect um and then my 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 two year contract was was up at that point at the end of the year and he he just said to me listen we're going down a league i don't see it being a league where there's flowing football played i think it's going to be an aerial battle and he said i don't think it plays to your strengths um so i said to him okay that's fine um i, I said i understand what you're saying uh, and i actually said to him let do you know what i'll do i said if it's all right i'll come back i said let me play for a contract in in the summer because i still feel like i'm one of the best players here or, or can help the squad um but he, yeah, he just declined so it was uh just one of those things so it was just it was just understanding or, or knowing how to move on from that disappointment i think it was the last time i had that was at arsenal in different circumstances but this one was was actually me thinking okay where where to, where do you go now sort of thing yeah and you did kind of move on to a few places after that didn't you Halifax? yeah 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 well the move, i played um, i was i was actually Huddersfield got in touch at the end of the season um, and said why don't you come down and train and then let's just see what happens um, and then I've gone down and I don't know if I trained too hard in the, in the off season as in thinking, let me get myself really, get myself really fit. Um, and I ended up having a double hernia. So I played on that. I was playing when was that Huddersfield and then Halifax sort of said, listen, come and play some games. And it was slowly dropping down a, couple, a few tiers. I remember playing and thinking, I can barely lift my knees. Something's not right here. And then, yeah, that um, double hernia surgery. Um and then that, yeah, from coming back from that, picked up a few more injuries. So that probably goes back to the point of that rhythm. I think I was one of those players, if I were playing regularly and without any kind of layoffs or anything like that, if I, my, I think my body was always quite finely tuned to be playing high intensity on a regular basis. I think when it had any kind of breaks or it had to kind of come back every so often, it just wasn't quite able to perform as well. So what's what's life been like outside of football then? Very different, very different. Um, it's you, you don't you don't realize when you're playing like how how little you have to probably organize yourself and how little you have to probably manage yourself. You you just have to you have to manage your your regime. But outside of that, so yeah, when you when you walk into a, a a meeting room or a corporate environment it is very different. Yeah. I think there's still things that I always say to kind of colleagues that I work with now, say there's, there's things that I lean on in terms of like discipline or doing a little bit extra. So you just have to, your, your preparation and your understanding, but there's a lot more um, emotional intelligence you have to use around people. It's very, very different from a, you're coming from a, a changing room environment mm. to a boardroom environment and your your way of thinking and your what you can and can't say are completely different it's a bit of a bit of a brotherhood in in yeah. or sisterhood in in sporting change rooms and you're a family so the, the jokes and the, the tone behind closed doors are are kind of yeah they're, they're, they're completely different but it's it's been good i think it's I think there's an element of pride that I've taken from being able to transition from playing to, to working. Now I, I work for a Danish fashion brand um, and it's kind of managing different departments there. And it's, if you said to me when I was playing, would you be able to do this tomorrow? I'd, I would have laughed and said, I, I wouldn't know where to start. So um, I'm a big believer that you, you I guess you, your pathway is going to get redirected. It's just how you kind of take to it. Um, there's been some parts I love, some parts where I'm just like I can't I can't deal with this kind of mm-hmm. some certain aspects but um the question I get asked by everyone whether it's people I work with now or people I've played against or or, or kind of former teammates they say Don't, do you not miss it like do you not I say to them the one thing I do miss just that competition mm-hmm. just that go especially being position that I play just winning physical battles or getting one over on the, the, the opposite number. It's like that, that, there's no feeling better than that, especially not in a football sense. And especially that feeling after you win on a Saturday afternoon and you kind of come into the changing room and you, you, you can just see what it means to the team. So 
Um, but I, I look back on it with like really, really good memories. And there's there aren't too many things I, I regret. I think I put put a lot of hard work into it. I think it, it just some things if you if you could adjust some things, you just fine tune them. Yeah, and, and what's your relationship with football like? Just because I speak to a lot of players who will look back on football and they're like, I don't watch football anymore, or you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I had, I had, I had that to be honest. I think I had that, that love, not I would say love hate, but I think I had that kind of um, battle against it for a little while. And I, I think, I think possibly for a lot of guys like me, when they say that, it's probably that, that, that battle of letting go a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it may be sometimes when you let go of it, you can actually really, really enjoy still watching games. Um, my, my, a lot of people say to me, why are you not, like I get people asking me, I'll oh, come and play in this tournament, come and play in our seven aside, I'll work this, work that. And I was like, okay, I said, I've not played for a while. I think they automatically think that you turn up and you're amazing. Yeah. Um, and you're like, I don't, yeah, I said, I've not played for a while. And I think my thing is that was actually, like, I didn't want to come back Oh, sorry, I didn't want to play casually because I don't. I was like, I'll take it too serious, and maybe, maybe that's not the. Maybe that's a bit sad, but I think, yeah, I don't play too casually because I think that second I step on, I'm like, why is he not moved there? Why, why? Yeah, I think it's just that understanding, but I think it's important to get over that and to enjoy it. But watching it, I love it. I love it. I think I'm, I'm watching games, and my, my partner, she's upstairs. She's like, what are you shouting at the television? <laughs> she, she's she's I was like well I'm, I'm saying to her well they're not doing this and like May United are probably the best example you can watch them and critique them in every sense of, of the word and I so I, I watch a lot and I've, I've always been big on watching like all the Europe a lot of the European leagues and I don't think that's changed stuff we, we literally have the sports package so I can watch French league I was watching the Portuguese league the other day so my the amount of hours I've watched football is still pretty unhealthy, yeah. <laughs> and there's probably a, a reunion called for at some point at Chesterfield for a match, a game at some time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think last time I was in, yeah, last time I was in Chesterfield, and I think I was literally having lunch, well, I had lunch with Adam Smith and he somehow wrote me into a power league game, like a seven aside. I was like, I've not got any kit. And by magic, he kind of whipped out some kit. And yeah, um, and yeah, I think, I think I've, I managed to turn it on for an hour and by the time I got home it felt like I'd been hit by a truck I think I think my <laughs> the muscles had seized up a little bit so this I think old father time starts catching up with you and the second I put on the boots I still think I'm that 20 year old that's stepping on the pitch against Brentford <laughs> that first game of the season so <laughs> and final last two questions which are obviously the most important first one which I ask everyone of Saltergate here is what you had from Linda's sandwich shop what did I have from Linda's sandwich? Linda was a big part of my time there, you know. Um, what is, I, do you know what? I was I was trying to eat quite clean. So Linda used to make me, a, cut me up a salad. Mm. And she, but she used to actually make extras for me to take home as well. Cause I was obviously in the hotel or I'd, I'd be in my flat. So I'd, I'd want to get as much, um, much kind of cooking on or, or lack of cooking. But I think I used to have, as a cob, I think I used to have like a barbecue chicken. So something like that. But yeah, she said, Linda, half the food in my fridge was probably from Linda's. So yeah. <laughs> it's a deviation from omelette, which everyone seems to have omelette. Oh, no, no, no. I don't, don't get an omelette from, I used to have enough of those in the hotel. So it used to, yeah, I think she used to do like a barbecue mayo chicken or something like that. But she, I think a, a lot of her revenue came from my pocket. So yeah, I think she did all right. Yeah. And, and finally, just that Amarillo video. It was you, know, and, you and Mark Deboller, I think, kind of that, down the corridor. Sounds about right. I, do you know what? I can't tell you the last time I saw that. Um, I, again, like I said, I think at the beginning, I think I was thrust into a pivotal role in it or kind of a, a f- up front and centre role. But um, yeah, that song, I, I, I'd never heard that song before. I got to, got to Chesterfield and when we got there, I was like, before... Obviously, used to come out on a tannoy just as before kickoff, and the fans would go mad at it. But I, I, t- I remember even to this day wondering, like, what's the con- what was the connection between Chesterfield and that particular song? It was just, um, yeah, it was it was a big part. But we used to sing it. I remember on nights out or or anything, it used to always pop up. So it was 
yeah, it brings it brings back fond memories, and somehow it's, it's it will always kind of be a part of when I was there. But I can't I can't quite understand the connection between it and the club though. I think it was Roy McFarland was mates with Tony Christie who sang. Is it. that what it comes down I think to? It was all down to Roy McFarland. Wow. Sounds sounds about right, about right. The gaffer, gaffer. I, again, I didn't realize. I remember when I signed, and my my dad said, "Oh, who's your manager?" My my dad my dad had been quite prominent in like East London football as a player and as a manager. And I told him, and he's like, "Said you do realize how good a player he was, right?" And I said, "I had no idea." He's like, "Oh, he said Alex, he was special." Like he was really, really good. So the manager, every so often, he used to kind of drop little nuggets about where he played, who his friends were. Mm. And yeah, every so he used to, I'm surprised he didn't name drop that one, but um, he kept it. Maybe he was getting uh, getting payments for every time the song was played or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> when the day is dawning On a Texas Sunday morning how I long to be there With Marie who's waiting for me there Every lonely city